HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, hey, welcome to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Um, I'd like to first of all thank my sponsor, White Oak Pastures. Their kettle are raised in a manner that is, has stood the test of time. It begins with southern sunshine, unpolluted country air, fertile coast of soil, cattle allowed to roam the pastures and graze freely on sweet native grasses all their lives. White Oak Pastures, all-natural grass-fed beef has been available in all of the Whole Foods stores in the Mid-Atlantic States. We hope that you support their program through a purchase at these Whole Foods. For more info, go to www.whiteoakpastures.com. I'd like to thank my guests today. Um, and we are not in Philadelphia, but we do have a show about brotherly love and collaboration in Adam and Brad Farmery. Uh, Brad Farmery is the chef, executive chef, owner, I don't know what the you know, titular nature of these things are anymore of public restaurant and double crown in New York. Adam is one of the founding principals of the design and construction architecture firm. Yeah. A lot of Kung Fu. Yeah. And a little bit of Kung Fu. Um, Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, I I don't even remember when I actually met uh, Brad for the first time. I think it was during a chow.com shoot about amuse-bouche and he uh, won me over with his, um, the eel with the pickled bean sprouts and the quail egg and yeah. I already knew that there was kind of more than a rapport there <laughs> it, it was his uh, passion for sourcing these not exotic ingredients well yes exotic here but not necessarily in Oceania Australia uh, New Zealand the purple people of risk <laughs> um, but it also uh, uh, was coupled with this amazing architecture of public which had these distinct uh, you know uh, idiosyncrasies of travels and uh, of passions of worldly features that 
weren't native to New York, and that was seen through Adam's eyes. Uh, public restaurants located, I believe, 22 Elizabeth Street? 210. 210 Elizabeth Street. I got, I got one of the numbers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, thankfully, I'm not your reservation. Sending <laughs> everyone the wrong place. And Adam uh, uh, Avroco is on the third floor of that specific uh, address as well. Yeah. So the collaboration, you know, not only happened when the restaurant opened, but has ceased to end. Um, Constantly, uh, you know, collaborating new ideas, but also uh, you guys mentioned outside that staff meal happens uh, for both, you know, Avroco and public restaurant at public every day. So that must be a nice time to see and then bounce new ideas off each other. It's it's, it's, uh, definitely an unusual situation where the design firm is that, you know, the design firm itself, Avroco, my my partners and I have developed the firm in such a way that tends to specialize in working in hospitality in general. So we're, we're designing a lot of restaurants and hotels and lounges and bars. And so the guys that are working in the studio, uh, the guys and girls that are working in the studio, um, having such a direct connection to a living, working animal is a real, um, uh, a real treat and, and really um, gives them an unusual um, uh, ability to kind of understand the animal in a deeper way yeah. than what a lot of designers get access to. And sometimes that means that they, you know, if you're trying to measure out exactly what the overhang of a bar over a bar die needs to be, you just go downstairs and measure it. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. if it means that you want to learn how to bake bread, you'll go and work in the kitchen for a day under the pastry chef. Or if it means that you just want to try to you know, forget um, some of the crazy craziness of your projects, it means that, you know, at the end of the day, you prop yourself at the end of the bar and kind of Enjoy. figure out enjoying yeah. and understanding the restaurant in that way. But um, it was also a dangerous caveat, I think, to collaborate with each other because I remember Brad telling me the you know, while designing the restaurant, you kind of said, you know, how big do you want the kitchen? And that's something you don't ask any chef. I mean, you, no. you cap limitations on, but being in his kitchen, the, the flow, the manner of um, not just which food, uh, but people move is efficient and graceful. And was that something you guys uh, talked through or was it more from a design or chef standpoint? I think, I think we are very lucky that um, it was a conversation. And I think that conversation uh, rarely happens with other restaurants uh, where the chef and the uh, designers can sit down and talk about everything that you just said, the flow, the dynamics, the lighting, um, things that quite often don't get considered once the front of house stops. Um, or the chef always wants a little bit more, but you know there was a way to do it in an affor- affordable fashion um, that really wasn't that difficult, and yet it makes work so much easier, and uh, and everything about the kitchen works so much better. Yeah, yeah. And um, speaking about the difference between you know the front of the house and the back of the house, uh, Brad, were you involved in you know the ideas that went into design implements in the front of the house, the bar, the you know seating? I think that he designed everything. Everything. <laughs> Give him all the yeah. my stamps all over it. <laughs> I think um you know I think my opinion was considered which is nice and and we wanted the whole restaurant to emanate a feeling. And I think that uh, because the design and the menu and the wine and the service style all came from uh, one group who was um creating this feeling. I think it's it's linear and and it 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 has that feeling. It's very, uh, very different from other restaurants. Very dynamic. You know, I think that um, it's cohesive. You yeah. know, instead of just here's a cool design and here's a menu and here's a wine list and um, I'm sure we can find out how they all go together. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, speaking of linear, let's move back uh, chronologically and talk about your upbringing in 
Pittsburgh, yeah. as as Adam said, you know, obviously the design capital of the world. Yeah, um, huge. Yeah, I mean, what were your influences in both food and design while growing up? Uh, that's 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 really an, an interesting question. It was funny we were talking about this um, the other day. My partners and I um, in the design firm, all of us grew up in the suburbs in different parts of you know the country, and and Brad and I um, had the similar experience. I looking at sort of the suburbs of Pittsburgh um, and in the design of suburban America is not exactly the launching pad for a great kind of mindset. <laughs> really? Levittown works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think fortunately for us, uh, Brad probably had it a little bit easier because our, our parents were both a little bit more food forward than the typical suburban parents. Um, uh, you know, mom always had a great garden in the back and, 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 um, dad was capable of bringing home a, a whole pig and sort of dealing with it in the bathtub in, in unusual ways, or at least unusual ways to a five-year-old. Yeah. We're still talking about food. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but you know, design, design was a little bit trickier, you know, in the suburbs. You had to really kind of look for it and it had to kind of, it started with trying to get out of the suburbs. I mean, just to be very honest and frank. Um, yeah. But there was there was not a whole lot that would have would have said um, about myself or any of my partners' experience in the suburb growing up in the suburbs that would have said that this is this is where we would eventually have been. Yeah, well, I mean, it has parlayed into a, a lot of world travel and inspiration, public based in New Zealand, Australian foods, mm-hmm. um, uh, double crown based in British Empire uh, yeah. uh, foods, and yeah. then, uh, you had spoke you're doing a couple new projects in Asia as yeah. well. Yeah, definitely. And, it may, and maybe that's it. Maybe growing up in the suburbs, you just yearn to kind of get the hell out and yeah. explore the world. And, 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 and after, you know, while doing that, you know, you start doing that at, at, as a teenager and your eyes are just wide. You know, you're just sucking it all in. And that starts to really maybe get that creative brain moving in, a, in yeah. an unusual way. I think that is a big part of it. You know, I think wanting to get out and get amongst it and get all these different vibes and feelings and put yourself in a different culture, mm-hmm. um, not just the food, the architecture, but everything, you know, and, and being able to spend some time out there and then bring that back. And uh, I think that was probably a pretty powerful influence on both of us. Yeah, I think it's unusual. I, you know, we were talking once that um, Brad and I um, both have a similar, I think, both both of our processes of how we go about finding a, a result in our particular fields is very similar. And, and it's something um, that starts with finding an inspiration from a certain culture or a certain historical aspect, you know. So in, in design, um, you know, it might mean investigating uh, a particular aspect of a culture and then bringing that forth in a new way and representing it in a new way within a project that has a certain contextual sense to that project, but also um, taps into maybe a collective consciousness that is under the under the belly yeah. of what the, typically you would look at a certain culture and you would say, oh, well, I know what that thing is, but there's always things that are kind of deeper rooted. And I think that happens probably with food as well, where, you know, he sort of take sometimes will take a, a certain understanding of how certain flavors or certain combinations of things should go together in a traditional way and then flips it by tweaking the ingredients in a certain I mean, how is public, what was the impetus behind that that wasn't going to be, you know, crocodile Dundee slash kitchen? <laughs> I think the impetus was foolishness. Um, I'm not sure we we really understood how much we didn't know. Um, But I think the impetus was a lot of the work, at least from a food standpoint, a lot of the work that I had done 
uh, in London. I had known so many Australian chefs, New Zealand chefs. I would got to meet so many of the, uh, the people that create these products, the winemakers and the guys making olive oil down there and the, the fishermen and the farmers. And the fact that every time I would come to visit Adam, um, you know, I, I'd see one New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc on the, the wine list, and they thought that they had that section covered. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so many of these ingredients I'd used on and off for uh, nine or ten years just were not being used at all over here. And so I thought that um, so much of that food seemed true to what I wanted to do. It was lighter. It was really uh, fresh and naturally colorful and flavorful and instead of being this heavily um, you know, 20 hands on each plate yeah. type of food. Aside from kangaroo, what were some of the ingredients that you were hoping to bring forth? Um, the New Zealand snapper, the New Zealand John Dory, um, so much of the Pinot Noir from Central Otago that now is sort of hitting people's lists. Um, uh, Australian Riesling, um, the Cervina, the, yeah, exactly, yeah. the Cervina, the um, you know uh, Akajura and interesting spices like that, and um, you know uh, Manuka honey. So many of these things had such a sense of place and such an interesting. Um, uh, was an interesting flavor component that people really weren't getting into. And I thought that it's a very easy way to kind of open people's eyes to all the other things that are out there. Yeah, and to kind of set that plate to a palate, Adam, did you travel to these locations uh, where these specific ingredients were from? To yeah, fortunately, them? Brad and I had... Um, uh, have have always gotten along pretty well so even <laughs> even when he was living in london for about 10 years i would i was constantly he was either coming to new york or i was going to london and then we'd use that as a jumping off point um to either go down to new zealand for i mean even five weeks at a pop and and just kind of really experiencing it and enjoying it and also that goes as well with a lot of the flavor uh elements that he was bringing in, I think, from uh, Northern Africa or even the Middle East. And, and that was coming out of trips and sort of understanding the basis in the, of where those things were coming from, too. Yeah. I mean, with the design elements there, Edison light bulbs, um, you know, a lot of the uh, original features of, what was it, a Connecticut muffin factory? The old Connecticut yeah. muffin company, and, yeah. And prior to that, do you even want to say what it was? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, you use those initial design elements to then be able to draw out, you know, these implements from traveling. Um, were there any direct relations to, you know, like Manuka honey uh, was directly Edison light bulbs or? Not as much. I think that a lot of the space design evolved from um, finding uh, an era of, of recent history, of recent American history, in which there was an epitomization of travel. You know, there was this epitomization of what it meant to kind of um, – have these goals that you would yearn for and and we were looking towards the kind of 40s 50s as that that you know, like sort of launching point for a kind lot of, of american like travel what i have in my head is what the sierra club was like or still yeah. is yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and so like there's a library filled with books about you know 101 best ways to cook jam and it's just like so so uh sort of base uh that you it, you look back on it now and you think how ridiculous but i mean there was that there was a certain ideal that i think people had back in the 40s and 50s that they were sort of searching for and we really wanted to capture that spirit because i think out of that spirit um is where brad was launching his food directive from that he had the spirit of of, of free flowing that he would be able to combine these things in, a, in unique ways yeah another thing i always liked about the um the design of it and the food sort of intermingling was that um, I think when people first walk into public, some of it might be mild shock as to how these 
disparate elements can actually come together. But it's sort of once you're in the space that you understand, oh, actually, yeah, you know, hardwood, um, office doors, um, exposed brick. <laughs> the old <laughs> hardwood office doors exposed brick trick. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a common one. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you know, it's... Um, it's very comfortable elements, and what seemed like really unusual choices actually come together in a very comfortable environment. And I think it's the same thing with the food. You know, when people first read the menu, they were like, "Ooh, I don't know yeah. if I like that." <laughs> so, um, but you do know, I like crispy yeah. goat's cheese polenta? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I do. But you know, once it's in front of them, they're like, "Wow, actually, this is this looks pretty good." And, I, and, and yeah. when and when they get it in their mouth, of course, these elements actually are um, memorable and are um, harken back to something else that they've tasted before. So it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just readjusting some of the focus. And it's like harkening back. I think it's that tapping into that collective consciousness that we all, that, that we as a group of, of humans have and that we do have a connection to certain types of flavor profiles and we do have a connection to how a combination of certain materials will make us feel and or think even if it's not necessarily on the surface it's a deeper psychological connection I think that happens a lot in that space and I think it happens a lot with the food and that's probably the best uh, understanding the marriage yeah, of those things good amalgamation before we get too heady and too deep we're going to take a quick break <laughs> it's too late man yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we are going to come back or the space and, looks uh, good and the food yeah, tastes yeah. good <laughs> whatever we are going to come back and talk about the kind of ethos versus aesthetics and you know how Brad uh, builds a plate whether or not it's uh, food or fashion first you listen to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network uh, I'm your host Michael Harlan Food scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Carlin Turkell, with guests Adam and Brad Farmery. Do you guys like it when people say Adam and Brad Farmery, or would you like to be your own? As long as I'm entity? first, I think Brad. Brad <laughs> alphabetical, brother. Yeah, yeah. Alphabetical. Brad and Adam has a great ring. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who was who was first? I mean, chicken. Who, who's chicken? What do you think? Egg? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to say twins and call it even <laughs> Irish si- twins. Well, Siamese. We yeah. are very Irish twins. Um, Adam was born. Uh, March 14th and I was born the next year March 12th so I just took I was the twin that just took a little longer yeah you know I was still I was still brewing yeah still still maturating (laughs) still is yeah (laughs) um but yeah no it's it's interesting because we have an older brother as well who's about a year older than I am um 
and with three boys growing up in the house, there's always a lot of rambunctiousness. Um, but for some reason, Brad and I tended to uh, kind of we went ended up going through our lives a little bit closer, and and so it was a natural um, af- affinity for when we decided to open a restaurant. My partners and I have all known each other for about twenty years, and then add on to that, Brad. Um, who I've known for a little bit longer. <laughs> I won't say how many, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, was, it, it seemed to make sense because we had a family already that was going to go about um, this effort in a way that was not strictly just based on a business plan. I mean, we had a business plan, and we're not complete morons, um, but it was based a little bit more on the fact that there was a certain sensibility that we all shared, and that we knew that it was going to, if we just kind of followed through with our 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 efforts that it would most likely work yeah. out. Okay. So, I mean, it kind of went against the saying of never work with family. Yeah. And yeah. well, it's so funny. I tell everybody else never work with family. But. <laughs> and there was a few, there was probably a, more than a few moments where, you know, there were screaming matches, you know, in the middle of a construction site or in the middle of a kitchen or in the middle of a manager's meeting um, in that kind of lineage um, of, you know, pre-opening and, and opening and, and then even after it was open. And there still is to some degree, but you can, you can, you know that at the end of the day, you can at least kind of hug it out and, you don't yeah. really mean to, you know. And you don't really mean it when you say you're an asshole. I mean, it was really just. Well, you mean it. Well, I might mean yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, and also that you, at the end of the day, you got you, you know, we all have each other's best interest at heart, and yeah. I think that's the best thing about working with families that, you know, you don't have to explain everything. You just know that you really everyone's passionate about it, and that's why you like working with the person. You might not agree on it, but they're as passionate as you are about the project, and they want it to be really cool and really different and really yeah. interesting. So. And speaking of different interesting, let's kind of segue into segue. Your, <laughs> segue, your second venture, uh, Double Crown, and Madame Geneva uh, therewith. What was the idea behind uh, trying to open a second monstrous, uh, <laughs> humongous <laughs> space? Big. Yeah. I remember you came by that one day during construction. Yeah. Um, and who were you with? It was uh, I don't, I don't with even King, remember. I think. Maybe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it was uh, that was that was that 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 construction was definitely a bit of an animal. Yeah, um, and that between our friend King, uh, chef at Kuma M. I mean, that's much bigger space than he has. Mm. Yeah, uh, a little bit, <laughs> slightly. <yeah. laughs> um, but that that was that was an interesting. You know, public was ha, had been successful, and our investors um, were very happy with the um, the proceeds of of what we were able to do there. And so they really were keen on us developing a new project. And so we had gone about and developed a business plan and, and, and got the investment together, but had taken a little bit longer to find the actual space. And while we were... Well, didn't you find a couple spaces? We found a yeah. couple, and, and maybe the community board was less than pleased with us on a, on a few of them. And um, But we eventually kind of um, uh, settled, well, settled, but we were fortunate enough to be uh, sort of granted this corner space right on the Bowery, um, Bowery and Bleecker, and it's just such an amazing location. But in the meantime, we had all started a lot more travel. Um, you know, the design firm had, had opened up an office um, in, in, in Asia and mentioned started to do a lot of projects in Asia, and Brad had continued his global travels and was starting to do a lot more in Asia. So the, the, the kind of connection to wanting to do something that was um, had a slightly uh, Asian bent to it was um, just came out of the process of our lives um that coupled with we had been reading a lot about early um uh early gin manufacturing yeah so <laughs> and we like to drink it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a really it was a natural kind of evolution about sort of um being westerners in distinctly eastern 
places and having that feeling and, and trying to marry that that sensibility that we had internally as both designers as well as chefs um, and linking that back to the kind of British exploration of the same areas that we were traveling in. And so we were kind of re-going down those roads, but in a much more modern yeah, sense. Okay, so you just put a flag in it, right? Put a flag yeah, in yeah. it, yeah. We'll take it. But I mean, some of the amazing design elements, such as uh, the chains hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, all, all the lamps that you have uh, or yeah. the fixtures up there where where did you find those were those something you were seeking uh, or sought you and just made it they found the us usually yeah. yeah it was kind of unusual like um, we were we were traveling a lot through Thailand at the time and in northern Thailand there's a place called Chiang Mai there's a market in Chiang Mai that somehow is the almost um, the center point for for things whether they're Pakistani or Burmese or or actually tie, you know, um, and and we'd be wandering through these markets just kind of in general, and you'd see these things, you'd be like, wow, that's really great, and let's just grab it and get it over and see what happens. Um, and I, I think in some of the times we were looking for, for, for some of that stuff, but I think it was really forcing ourselves. Um, I think the design firm had gone down its, uh, a distinctly Americana road with a lot of projects, and we wanted to force ourselves to push our boundaries and try to explore a slightly different um, cultural point of view and a point of departure. Yeah, and with the menu as well. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't even know what Laksa was and uh, yeah. a couple other, you know, uh, the white bait, which yeah, one of my favorite crispy little fish. Uh, you know, <laughs> Fries with eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you draw inspiration from some of the, the, you know, pieces of the restaurant that he brought back? Or did you have an idea in mind already of, you know, what kind of dishes you wanted to have on your menu? I, th I think the coolest thing that Adam sort of left out uh, with the whole design was that, you know, they were basically packing up these containers in, in, uh, in one in India, one in, uh, in Chiang Mai and, and slow boating them over to Manhattan. And so, you know, this, Thing really did come together at the end there was a game plan but you couldn't see it evolve as much as um, mm. public in public so much of it is handmade or um, you know they were making the wood right there in the space and uh, doing yeah. with a little metal shop right there in the space and you guys stamp all the menus still and yeah, yeah those little yeah things. and um, and with double crown it was like you know we were kind of working with this really cool idea of uh, it's going to be a melange of all these different markets and spaces. And uh, I think that's what we want to do as well, kind of put together so many of the, the food markets that we had traveled to. And, um, and you know, the food was going to be amazing, but we didn't want to make it super serious, you know, like, and we didn't want to make it. And I think so many quote unquote Asian restaurants sort of fall into the same pattern and we want to avoid those patterns and kind of, look at different areas for inspiration like uh, Singapore and Malaysia, um, a little bit into Thailand, Vietnam, and even China. You know, I think, um, you know, that Hong Kong feel to it, that yeah. uh, Singapore feel to it, um, I think works really well. Yeah, and name some specific dishes. I mean, like from exo sauce that you make in-house mm -hmm. to, um, I, I don't even know what else you have on the menu right now, but they're... They, you get these ideas of these very uh, eccentric starts and then make them comforting. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think sambal is one of our favorite sauces. You know, that's sort of a very general name for chili sauce, but I think the uh, different derivations of sambal are amazing. And the one that we're using a lot is like a three-day cooking process. I think, you know, using uh, the cooking process of cracking a caramel, you know, using caramel to cook your aromats yeah. uh, and how that just drives all the moisture and, and gives them that kind of slow-cooked 
taste in like five minutes. I think, you know, not just using a wok and using noodles and things like that. I think, but noodles. But, yeah, but look, <laughs> <laughs> he said noodles. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, I think laksa is a, a really perfect example of it. It's, you know, again, it's open for interpretation. It's sort of like saying pasta sauce. But um, I think that it's such a great clean flavor and um and so unlike anything i've had in new york before um and yet when people have it it really does transport them right back to malaysia uh to them sitting by the beach or, oh believe or, me i wish it was a wormhole sometimes yeah like <laughs> you can stat me over there in a second right on um do either of you use either your menu or design uh to influence each other like say I got a craving for this, so maybe I'll put this up on the wall. Or I got a craving for this, so maybe I'll put this, you know, as an entree, uh, hoping to steer one or another uh, into a new direction. Hmm. I think so. I think one thing that's really cool is um, with the blurring of the lines between the the design and the kitchen and the restaurants in general is that you get someone else's uh, perception of food and, and of they get my perception of design and we might not have the right vocabulary to talk about it, but there is a point that we're trying to get across and that um, I think helps each other work outside of, you know, you kind of paint yourself into a corner sometimes and you're going through the same motions. And so it sort of forces you to look at something, a problem or a dish or a table from a different direction. Um, and I think that it's great because Everco is so great about that, about, you know, there isn't just one way. And, and yeah, let's hear your opinion on it. And, yeah. and what does that actually mean? And what can we draw from that and i think that was great and that was a great inspiration for teaching you know chefs are not necessarily very open people (laughs) i I think teaching not just myself but everyone in the kitchen that you know no let's have a conversation about this and and maybe that can get us to something better than either of us could have done alone yeah avrico operates as a as a semi-reckless um oligarchy and and so it's it's it, you know and, you get that on your business card a little bit a little bit but it's the same way that brad and i operate as brothers is that you know it means that you have the freedom to tell somebody exactly what you think and that and that everybody else has the ability to not take it personally and and that means that creatively you're able to try to get past whatever blockades you might have in your head or your own pride in order to kind of get at something that maybe is a little bit better and or deeper and or more meaningful and i think that happens you know sometimes we'll show brad what we're working on and he's like that really doesn't look like a good idea (laughs) (laughs) and then we go back to the client he's like well i don't i don't think that really looks like a good idea anymore so we've redesigned it and and they're much happier and the same thing i think brad Brad was mentioning you know when there's new dishes coming out you know sometimes it'll literally we'll just get around a table and i'll eat it and like that that's really it's really amazing but what if it was like this or like this or like this and sometimes it's just getting out of getting out of your own head a little bit sometimes you just get too close to stuff yeah and aside from food interior exterior um i know that you've in the past made uniforms uh yeah and even tables chairs uh, oh yeah with furniture lighting fixtures um you know our we were really inspired by the sort of um bauhausian idea of the gesamtkunstwerk where like you could take a project and literally do every single little piece to it and that's what started us doing the architecture and the interiors and the graphics to projects and then that bled into doing the furniture and the lighting fixtures and eventually with the restaurants you know the connection to actually the food and the tabletop and the uniforms the website, the website and and you know the goal literally is to be able to you know make sure that that concept is is pretty thorough throughout um 
and and it's exciting because it means that you get to touch every little last little chunk of it. Yeah, I mean, are you guys looking to make flatware, tableware, other extensions of the restaurant? Right, we've now? talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that's um, you know we just did a line of bar carts um, that was launched oh, yeah. in Asia I, recently. And I those saw were, those. Over here. Those were Fantastic. cool. Yeah, uh, and that was kind of a beginning of sort of playing around with blurring that line between you know serviceware and uh, and a furniture piece. Yeah. I mean, are there future collaborations that you guys are hoping to work on um, that aren't bar carts, aren't tableware, flatware? Are there, you know, implements that bring things to the table or uh, foods that you want to package and design? Mm. I think the, the nice thing is that we have more ideas than we have time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. um, I think that, you know, we've... And we've done very small runs of certain cool things like uh, our our own packaged goods. Um, yeah, the food products. That was really a yeah. cool, cool uh, experience. And utensils and, and uh, tools for the kitchen and and things like that. And I think you know we do one offs and and there's still it's still on the list. It's still something that we mm. would love to pursue um, when we have time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's sort of larger right now. We've been playing around with. Um, doing uh s- some some sort of odd combination of of uh, of a small space that um that's somewhere between a product in itself and a and an experience so we're just not sure how it's going to turn out yeah. or when or when yeah <laughs> or even what it is yeah yeah um just a quick last question for the both of you uh brad what would you say a chef should know about a designer or uh, a designer should know about working with a chef and conversely with you adam I think, God, that's a hard one because, again, for us, it's it's very natural, so it's hard to pick out the exact things. But um, I think that spending a lot of time with the person to actually pick their brain with ideas and, and the other way around to make sure that everyone's on the same page, um, I think that uh, their creative process is going to be very different from yours, and it's no, no better or worse. It, you should be open for, for all those new ideas. I would say that, you know, just in terms of designers working with chefs, you just got to know that they're volatile. <laughs> <laughs> they carry sharp impacts. Yeah. <laughs> they're into, bur- they're into burning themselves, <laughs> and they tend to have, you know, no. Um, <laughs> A drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that, no. The, um, I, I, think, I think more than anything else is, is the fact that there's, you know, the restaurant doesn't exist without the, without the food. So um, there's a lot of designers that kind of get, get ahead of themselves relative to how service works and the best way to really get into it is to be able to sit and work with a chef to understand the ins and outs of why why things need to be like they do awesome well i hope that was inspiring advice for all you uh sibling rivals <laughs> trying to open up restaurants uh, i want to thank both of you again for being on the food scene thank and uh, thanks man. i hope you guys you know got some great little tidbits and gems and are able to work with family better than you did prior. Uh, I'd like to thank my uh, sponsor, White Oak Pastures, again, producer Jack Inslee, engineer Nat Wiener. I hope to you know, not see you, but have you hearing me next Tuesday at 3 p.m. This is Michael Harlan Turkel. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Yeah.